Hello, I'm Scott DuPont with another episode of Finance Your Movie, sharing tips and strategies to help you fund your independent feature, documentary, short film, or web series. Our mission is to empower you to get your money to tell your story. Okay, so I am here with Nicholas Bertelson, an award-winning producer-director who has produced over two dozen films, including The Tomorrow Man, Driveways, one of my favorite movies, The Land, and Nick has worked with numerous Academy Award winners, nominees, uh, and he's a fellow member of the Producers Guild. So welcome, Nick. Thank you, Scott. Glad to be here. And I'm also here with Joselito Saldera, who's a director and writer, who's been in the business for well over a decade, and he's known for Unsettled, Hands-Off, and About Abigail. Welcome, Hose. Hi, thank you. Nice to be here. So you guys both have a, uh, especially you, Nick, you guys both have quite a background and been in the business a long time, but what I want to start off with today is about the story of End of Fall, the 2016 crime drama thriller you guys did. And so how did this film come about, and how did you guys connect? Well, yeah, so I'll start by saying that, that Hose and I met in film school at USC about 12 years ago. Um, and, you know, after film school, we just sort of, realized one day that we'd worked on a lot of things together in film school and since film school. And um, <clears throat> I think it was, uh, Hose, correct me if I'm wrong here, I had just gotten home from Sundance. And mm-hmm. I, I sort of, I came over to your place and we were hanging out and I was like, you know, we should partner up and like do something. And, and you were kind of like, yeah, let's do that. Or I was thinking the same thing. And then, and then Hose had written this screenplay that I want him to sort of tell you the genesis of that, because I think it's an interesting story, how, how End of Fall became End of Fall. Yeah, so... Let's hear it, um, Hose. Yeah, I'm trying to... <laughs> um, let's see, I, I decided, I was, I was talking with a friend, um, you know, one of our, you know, we're just hanging out at this local bar in Hollywood, and uh, um, I wanted to write, make something, you know, we're getting out of film school, um, I firmly believe that uh, I, we could do a feature for like super cheap, you know, something like um, like twenty grand or something like that. Um, he was a working actor, and I, I, re- I wanted to write it for him because uh, I thought it was wonderful. He was doing; he's already been doing a bunch of movies and national commercials at the time. So the idea was, uh, you know, crowdfunded. It was just kind of the beginning of the whole Kickstarter thing. Um, but I wrote it. Um, I think it was pretty much. I had an idea for, um, oh, you know what it was? I wrote it as a short film back like in, at the start of film school. Um, started as that, and a lot of my friends at the time were uh, having kids. So I was kind of questioning, you know, how far would a, would a parent go to, uh, you know, kind of save the kid from some kind of trouble. Um, so I ended up kind of basing it off uh, a friend of mine um, who recently had a kid, and this is all, you know, from Wisconsin where I grew up. And the tenor right stuff that are kind of based in the Midwest, particularly where I grew up, um, just because I know it real well, I'd been, I hadn't lived there in a number of years. So I, I kind of just found that area interesting anyways. Um, so kind of wrote for that. It ended up becoming the sort of thriller. Um, and 
you know, a lot of misdirection and things like that. Turned into feature, and you were like, yeah, we could do this. We'll do this for like $20,000, $25,000, whatever. And, you know, I showed it to Nick. Um, turns out he kind of drew this comparison that it was very Hitchcockian, which you know, I've seen some Hitchcock movies, but, you know, Nick, Nick is a huge fan of Hitchcock. So, um, you know, like, I'm like, that's cool. You know, that's a great comparison. Um, you know, he liked the first draft. I sent him one of the early drafts, so he got in on it really early, and then he helped me develop it more uh, to kind of, like, play with this whole Hitchcock and thriller aspect. Um, you know, we came across, you know, came with some certain budgets and whatnot, but, you know, that disregarding, you know, we just kind of focused on the story itself, uh, turned into something we felt like we were ready to go find money for and go make, and that's how it kind of came about. That, that's <clears> often <throat> where it all starts, those magic words of, hey, we should work together. We should team up and do a movie. So, mm-hmm. Nick, where did, uh, where did your budget end up uh, working out for this? So as uh, we sort of revised the, the screenplay and the budget and tried to figure out where to shoot it, <clears throat> um, and, and I think, as Hos mentioned, like the, the first couple of budgets were probably in the twenty dollars to $25,000 range. Um, and then we went and scouted. I'm, I'm from the Midwest also. I'm from Iowa. And so we went and scouted kind of in and around my hometown um, and, and ultimately decided that we wound up shooting it in, um, in Joselito's hometown in Wisconsin instead, um, which turned out to, to work out perfectly. But that helped us kind of narrow down the budget a little bit in terms of what we could get for free, you know, from friends and relatives and, and in the hometown, um, and, and what we would actually need to pay for, like rental of equipment and, you know, gas and, and things that are just hard costs that you can't get around. Um, and so, you know, we wound up with a budget that was, it was definitely north of, you know, $25,000, but definitely south of $100,000. And so, you know, it fits neatly into that ultra-low budget and, and, you know, even micro-budget sort of realm, you know? Um, yeah. And, and in terms of you know, how we went about raising the money, um, I, you know, we, we knew we were going to go to friends and family because it was such a small movie and you kind of got to start there, you know, especially on a movie this small. Um, and so we just determined, you know, we're going to sell, you know, five units or 10 units or 20 units and they're going to be five or $10,000 each, you know, you sort of figure all that out. And then the first thing we did was we each bought one. So Joselito and I put our own skin in the game first. Then we went Good to for you. Good for you. And both our, you guys. And our parents both invested, you know, um, and, and our parents kind of agreed that if the other parents would invest, they would. And so Jose and I were both in. Our parents were both in. And then we went to, you know, some you know, other close friends and family, and, and we pretty quickly were at, like, 50% financed. And the movie is called End of Fall, and it's set in the fall. And we were and, and fall in the Midwest is very beautiful and colorful, and it was rapidly approaching. So we either needed to shoot it right away or wait a whole year. So once we got past the 50% finance mark, we were feeling pretty confident that we could raise the rest of it. So I bought a plane ticket to Iowa, rented a minivan, and drove to Wisconsin, and hosed drove from L.A. to Wisconsin with his two dogs in his car. And, we, yeah. you know, we rented a place there. Um, well, we rented two cabins there. Cause it's, it's the, 
it's a it's a lake town like Geneva, and mm-hmm. um, it was right at the end of that um, tourism season. So all of the rental cabins were being sort of boarded up for the winter, and so we actually rented two of them at a pretty good price because everybody kind of assumed the season was over, right? And we put all of the crew in one, and we put all of the cast in the other one. I mean, this was really, you know, <clears throat> bootstraps, kind of bare bones filmmaking, you know, everybody, everybody pitched in kind of deal. <clears throat> so when we got to Wisconsin, we were still a little bit short to finish the movie, to be 100% financed. But we felt like we had at least enough money to shoot the movie, get it in the can, you know. Um, and as a side note, we nailed the fall colors. I mean, when, the day we got there and started scouting, the leaves were still greenish. And the day we left, the trees were all bare. So we, completely by accident, but also kind of on purpose, nailed the fall mm-hmm. colors uh, for this movie for our, for our like, 14 days of filming. Um, <clears throat> and, how, oh, is what am I leaving out there? I, I feel like that's, that's how I remember it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I... I mean, you know, you're you're producing it, so you're probably more concerned about the money than I was. But yeah, I was literally like, um, you know, forget it. We'll, we'll get we'll get the single least shot, and then um, boom, you know, like and, you know, we we just went for it because we hit our drop dead date. It was like two weeks before we were going to have to push it for a year, you know. Um, yeah. And then and then uh, you know we just started making calls. I remember specifically you at my yard making a few calls, getting a bunch yep. of money, like like you know people are committing and like, wow, this is actually probably going to happen. Um, I don't know if you want to finish it up to tell them how we got the rest of the money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause those, those kind of popped into my head too, but you know, it's um, funny. And, and because of, of who's probably listening to, you know, uh, a podcast about how to finance a, a low budget independent feature film, I will mention that each of these people that we called, we just asked them for a letter of intent, you know, for if they're buying one unit or two units or whatever, what that dollar amount was. Um, and on our little, you know, letter of intent, our little LOI, it just basically said that um, you're kind of pledging this amount of money to this project. And, you know, at, at some point when we greenlight this project, we're going to call you back and sort of call that in and you'll, you'll make a, a transfer to us, you know. And we formed an LLC. We, um, that LLC opened a bank account, so everything was legit and above board. And in a state like Wisconsin or Iowa, it's very easy and very cheap to create an LLC. And we did it there because we were shooting the movie there. Um, yeah. So the last couple of units that we sold, so we're there, we're not a hundred percent financed, but we had, a, you know, probably just enough money to actually shoot the movie and get it in the can. So, um, and, and Hose, you might be able to tell this part of the story better, but you know, one, a, a couple of his friends from high school um, sort of stayed in the area and became very successful um, they own the local grain elevator. I mean, it's, and it's this huge operation and it's just getting bigger and it's, um, and we got together with them to see about using some locations and maybe a vehicle, a pickup truck, you know, picture vehicle and some costumes and stuff like that. Um, because their, their family is, is farmers. And so we used some of those hats and jackets and boots and things, you know, and they were so interested in this process and had known Hose for so long that they wanted to invest in the movie. And um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Hose, that they basically offered to invest in the movie. We didn't, I don't think we even asked them. Yeah, wow. didn't ask, we didn't ask him at all. He, they just pulled me aside, my older brother, one day. It's like, hey, man, we, you know, we love what you're doing here. We love the action. You know, um, we want to invest. <laughs> like, that's awesome. 
Um, and, you know, these are, these are people I grew up with, hadn't seen in a while. And it's not only those two, like, like some of these resources that, you know, we were able to get for free in locations and stuff, they kind of hooked us up with. And these are people like either myself or my parents know for a long time, you know, and it's like, it's kind of like weird how this sort of community kind of like came out of the woodwork to kind of support this movie. It was, it was super awesome and like kind of like heartwarming at the same time, you know. But yeah, they definitely approached us and um, wanted to be part of it. And well, I, I think, think I think you guys go ahead, Nick. I was just gonna say the very last unit. I remember I have this very specific memory of standing in the parking lot of the bank on my cell phone. Um, talking to someone uh, that I had actually, um, it, was, it was like sort of the one investor that wasn't an old friend or family. It was kind of a new friend. Um, and, um, but we had, we had uh, kind of a fast friendship and a mutual love of film. And, um, and so I just called him and I said, I, you know, I literally, I've got this one unit left and I need to close this so that we can kind of open this bank account. I was literally standing in the parking lot of the bank having this, phone call, you know, and they said, mm-hmm. yes, and we were full. And then we were hundred percent financed. Um, it was, <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> wow. Well, c- congrats you guys. I, I think you guys did a lot of smart things. You, you put skin in the game early, which reinforces confidence to all your potential investors. You got family and close friends in. I, I've usually not had luck getting complete strangers into a, a very, very low-budget independent film that has risks, of course. Um, and then I think you're really smart using the LOI, so you know, there wasn't this immediate financial pressure, pressure on anyone or anyone was going to possibly lose interest if the money was just parked in an escrow account for three months or six months. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the whole... Uh, both you guys and then the parents both coming in is really interesting too. So mm-hmm. um, you I want to shift Scott, gears a little bit. Go ahead. Scott, you just mentioned something that I would like to speak to as I'm currently trying to raise money for, you know, a $6 million movie, which is a, a completely different ball of wax. Uh, there seems to be a kind of distinct line between two types of investors. And one type is the, the kind that we went after for our movie because it was such a small movie and we went to friends and family because they cared about us and our project and our careers. When you are trying to raise money, a lot larger amount of money um, from the people who can afford to invest that amount of money, their concern is not about you, your project and your career. Their concern is about their return on investment. And it seems like there's a a fairly, you know, (laughs) strict line between those two types of investors. Um, and I'm just, I'm just sort of learning that as I, I uh, you know, move forward in my <laughs> career. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I, I don't know where that dividing line begins, but I would just guess all my years in the business, maybe a million, two million dollars, but, um, yeah, probably so. you know, your micro, micro budget, even 100, 200, 500,000, um, I've always had good luck with people that I know and trust me and, and that trust the team as opposed to, you know, like I said, just uh, complete strangers. Um, Hose, you've done a lot of um, short films. And 
Nick, you, you, you guys can both chime in here. What, what do you think the importance of having a bunch of short films on your resume before jumping into your first feature? Do you think that's, that's critically important as a stepping stone to raising money for a feature? You know, uh, if I could chime in on that. Um, it's interesting. I talked with a friend at, um, at uh, one of the major agencies here, um, and he tells me that when they're looking at new filmmakers, they don't actually really care about uh, the short films. They want to see you have done a feature. They don't care, you know, they want to see you can handle that, right? Um, the thing for short films for me, and it depends, I think with your friends and family, I think that's probably important because they can kind of see what you've done. Um, I, I, you know, most of them, did, you know, friends and family, they trust you, right? So they're, they're going to trust you either way. I think it's more important as like a director to kind of have that sort of like experience. Um, I got to just do short films for fun. You know, I, I know they're not going to make any money. I, I mean, actually, we just got distribution overseas for something I did with, uh, for Hay. Uh, Nick knows this short. Um, the guy that was the lead in Hand of Fall. End of fall. Um, so that's kind of cool. But, that, you know, we weren't expecting that. You know, these are super low budget. These are usually done with friends and stuff. Um, but I think if I didn't have that sort of background with a variety of short films, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to handle, you know, just directing in general. Um, another friend of mine is a writer. He's asking me how you know he wants to direct his first feature, but he has no directing experience. I'm like, go out and make stuff, man. You know, like that, that's how you learn. Um, so you know, short films are weird unless it's like some kind of Sundance winner or something like that. Um, you know, because I, I think generally the story. Is, you know, I've, I've talked with a number of filmmakers who had shorts in um, like Sundance or South by, and um, you know they're getting picked up to developing in the features, at least to write them. And you know, I think that's good, but. In terms of like for financing, um, unless your short film is maybe a proof of concept of that feature, personally, I, I, I don't think people are putting much stock into that, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe Nick has seen different, but from my experience, that's kind of like what I've seen. And I, I, well, I, think, um, I think it proves that you can um, make, make a movie at least. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I guess it also depends on the, the sort of level of uh, – what kind of financing you're looking for. Like if you're looking for like, you know, two and a half million dollars or whatever, um, they're probably going to more want to see, at least from what I've seen or heard or talked to with people around here, it's like you want to see you got a feature under your belt. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, that's that's kind of what they're looking sorry, for. Sorry, but. Nick, do you want to chime in? Oh, yeah. You know, I just wanted to say that um, I agree with Hose that uh, it just seems like everybody wants to see that the, the at least the director has, you know, a first feature under their belt. But I also have a, a foot on either side of this fence because um, I have worked with mostly first-time directors and a few second-time directors. Um, and so a lot of the, the budget ceilings are kind of restricted by that. There's only a certain amount of risk that the investors are willing to, to put into a first-time director because, they, you know, quote-unquote unproven. But I feel like if those directors have like really good or really solid short films or have made an incredible proof of concept short of this feature that can help those things get made. And, and as Hose was saying, like short films are kind of like practice for the real thing. Um, which I've always thought of them that way. Even I was making short films before I went to film school and I always thought of it as like practice for the real thing, you know? Um, but as Hose also pointed out, short films can be their own thing. I mean, um, Hose 
did you write and direct or just direct the the music one that we did? Um, um, what was the title of that one? Uh, no, love no Love Song? We did a short called uh, No Love Song that was written by one of our classmates, right? And then the host directed it and I produced yeah. it. Yeah. And, um, right. and that, that, was, that was fun and it was a good film and it went to a bunch of festivals. Um, but I think we did that one just as a short film. It wasn't like a proof of concept of a feature, but it was also kind of practice for all of us, you know, because I think at that point yeah, we hadn't yeah. really done features yet. And, and honestly, a lot of what film school is, is doing lots and lots of shorts and then making them sort of longer and longer so that it's like you go from scene level to sequence level to full story arc, you know, and then doing everything yourself and then doing everything with a partner and then doing everything with a team, you know, and, and that's the structure of the film school that I've been familiar with so far is that they sort of teach you how to do that. And then the last, the last step is, you know, a bigger collaboration with a bigger cast and crew and a bigger budget on a longer page count and a feature length film. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I so agree with you. Speaking of, US, speaking of USC, I want, I want to uh, switch gears here real quick before we run out of time. You were, uh, Nick, you were line producing for several of uh, James Franco's films. And I'm talking about some of the lower budget ones that he did, less than 500,000, kind of his passion projects with him and his partner, uh, Vince. Um, is, is, it, is it true that here he is, an A-lister, James Franco, they just basically write a script and within a week it's financed, did money just kind of just throw, throw into them like, like they won the lottery every single film, or did they have to work for it well, those, in terms those of the fundraising? Were, those, those were the first three films that I did after film school, and I was actually a full producer on all three of them, but they were so tiny, and I mean tiny, tiny, like, you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, that that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So ultra low budget, right? Um, but but that led me to be able to line produce some bigger movies that were in you know one and two million dollars. And so it it's kind of a weird reversal where I was a full producer on those first three films that I did, but they were very very small. But that allowed me to then because I had some feature experience that allowed me to then line produce some like one and two million dollar features after that. Um, and so there's another place where I have my feet on both sides of the fence. <laughs> but but in, in, term, in terms of James getting money, did you hear anything? It was like, oh, yeah, we, we got a check coming in this week. Or did they have to hustle a little bit, just like every other filmmaker? I think everybody has to hustle, you know, even them. And at the time that I was working with him, the, the um, um, Wizard of Oz sequel came out. And he was, like, literally number two on the IMDb, IMDb star meter. You know, and like, he was probably yeah. the most famous he's ever been was right then. And so I think that it was easier for him and his team to raise money than it is for us, but they still had to hustle for it. I mean, everyone has to hustle for it. Um, yeah, even, even when you make the movie Titanic, and it, it winds up being the highest grossing movie of all time, and you go back to the studio and want to make Avatar, they still sweat you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Even you've made yeah. the most successful movie of all time. Um, so anyway, I think everyone has to struggle for, for money. So since it is a, a hard thing, I would love to kind of to, uh, to, to summarize this episode. Uh, we'll start with you, Nick, and then we'll go to Hose. Any, any thoughts, tips, strategies, advice for people who want to finance their own film? I think 
what I'm going to say, and this actually I kind of learned from Pose, is just do it. You know, if if you have a $50,000 budget and you can only raise $30,000, figure out a way to make it for $30,000 um, and just go do it. Uh, I think another kind of big thing that we learned that I feel is really true is go shoot it in your hometown. Because you get outside of New York, LA, and Atlanta, and people are much more welcoming of, of film production. They're excited about it. They're not jaded about it. They want to pitch in. They want to help. It's really cool because it's so foreign to Ames, Iowa, or you know, Fontana, Wisconsin. Um, and I think that's I think that's what I've that's what I would share. Good advice. Pose. Yeah, I, um, I'll jump on that. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the. Uh, just go do it mentality, but <laughs> does it always work? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, can you just do a sci-fi movie? Probably. I st- I'm a firm believer in that for like a little, little money, but when just kind of adding on to what Nick's saying and what I've seen kind of like our, uh, our friends and contemporaries do is um, they really, you know, they, they look at what they, they have available to them, locations, you know, actors, um, you know, it could just be one location, um, you know, genre even. And, uh, you know, they really take advantage on, on kind of like using that when they're forming their stories. Um, you know, a lot of our friends are really big horror, horror film fans, and uh, um, they've, they've put out like, uh, you know, lower budget sort of self-financed uh, horror films using really to their advantage, you know, their limitations on locations and actors and scheduling and all that stuff, and, and they turn out to be great movies. Um, I, I don't think you should sacrifice your story for what you do have, but I feel like limitations can actually make you more creative and make your stories better. So I, you know, I would just encourage people to keep an open mind about that um, as they're as they're looking forward to finance their, their films. And yeah. Something Hose so Hose, any? Made me... oh, Go sorry. ahead. <laughs> I was going to say something Hose said just made me think of something, which is you can look at what you do have, what you do have access to, what you've got for free, and you could write your story around that, um, you know, the, the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. You know, if you give yourself those limitations, uh, you might come up with something really, really creative. Um, and at the total other end of the spectrum, um, a friend of mine from Iowa, Max Allen Collins, who wrote Road to Perdition, is an extremely successful writer. He won't write something until he has physically set foot in the location so that he can feel it and then write it accurately. And so, you know, at, at the bottom end and at the top end of the sort of filmmaking spectrum, you can just write to the location or write, in the case of End of Fall, wrote it to the actor that we wanted to be in it and it had access to, you know? Yep, just like Eddie Burns did with Brothers with Mullen and Kevin Smith did with Clerks. Write with what we know, and it's a lot less money to to raise. So to wrap things up here, uh, Hose, we'll start with you. Any exciting projects you're working on now or in development, and what's the best way people can contact you or follow you? Oh, yeah, I am. um, You know, I just started getting financing for my next feature called Screw City, (laughs) which is about – um, what do you call it? It's about a teenage girl trying to keep her punk rock band together before, like, the summer after they, they graduate high school. Um, you know, shot in the Midwest, obviously. Um, just started getting financing, then COVID happened. So I put it on pause. <laughs> but um, you can find, the best way to follow us is, like, on Instagram, ScrewCityMovie.com. Or, I'm sorry, that's not the Instagram. But just look up ScrewCityMovie, 
there's a website, ScrewCityMovie.com okay. as well. Um, but yeah, um, and then just developing an, another script to be just uh, I'm in the middle of writing it. Um, it's pretty much my biopic about growing up in southeastern Wisconsin. <laughs> Very cool. And Nick, uh, tell us about what you have going on and best way to follow you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and because Hose just mentioned a website, I'll mention the End of Fall website, which is just endoffall.com, and there's information there about the movie and the filmmakers and the cast and everything. <clears throat> um, for myself, I'm, I'm <laughs> fundraising again for uh, a couple of uh, historical dramas that are based on true stories um, that are bigger budgets. They're in the 5 to $10 million range, which makes it uh, quite a bit more difficult, and it's sort of new ground for me. Um, and then you throw in COVID, and that makes it even harder. Um, but for me, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and everything as CinemaWorks, um, C-I-N-E-M-A-W-E-R-K-S. That's an E instead of an O, CinemaWorks. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's how you can find me. Perfect. Well, thank you, uh, thank you both for being on the show. Um, once you get that bigger money, Nick, I might circle back in uh, – get some advice from you because that, that's out of my wheelhouse too, anything above $2 million. But um, best of luck to both you guys. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having us. Tune in next week. And for more info, visit financeyourmovie.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you have a story to tell the world, never give up on your dream. Copyright Nemours Marketing.